what we just experienced there in song is what we believe to be true about our God. That God is one, yet he is different. God is one, yet he is Father, Son, and Spirit. And we as his church are one, yet we are all different. We look different. We come from different backgrounds. We have different experiences. We're gifted differently to help encourage and build up this body of believers. And so I love just in a simple yet beautiful song, we get to experience what we talk about so much here at Soma Northwest, that we are one because God is one. And that doesn't negate our stories. That doesn't delete our experiences, but that enhances them as we say God has made us different, yet he has brought us all together in Christ to be one body so that we and the community out there can look at us and say, that is what God is like. We're celebrating one year as a congregation this morning, so thank you for coming. My name is Bobby. I'm one of the pastors here, and I think that uh, telling stories matters. Um, I think it gives us context. It gives us definition, and for those of you who have been with us, uh, you know that we did not start as a community of faith uh, on September 10th of last year that we had been meeting in homes. Uh, we had been attending Sunday morning gatherings at Soma Midtown, which is in Broad Ripple, and Soma Downtown, which is on the near east side of downtown, uh, for several years before we ever came here on a Sunday morning. And what has been awesome for all of us to see and to experience is that growth of not only a church that has organic roots, of people being in relationship with each other, doing very simple, basic things in life, such as eating meals together, spending time with each other in people's homes, going to sporting events with each other, supporting our kids in, in school plays and in Little League uh, and, and and all over uh, this city, we have experienced what it looks like to have a life together, a shared relationship together. And so when we come here on Sunday morning, this isn't our time for church each week. This is just a reflection of what is true about us as a community throughout the entire week. We come here together to share together what we experience in pockets during our week. And so as Andrew led us through liturgy, I remember sitting in a living room four years ago with people living on this side of town. And before long, we started talking about what would it look like for us to have a Soma here in Northwest Indianapolis, a place where we could worship, a local church that we could invite our friends and our family and our coworkers to, a church community that looked like this part of town, a place where we could say, hey, this is what God is doing. This is what we are a part of. And we are here this morning because so many good and faithful churches have come before us. We are not the only church here doing good work and following the Lord. We are just a small part of what God is doing to transform lives and to transform this community 
the way that he wants it, the way that he intended it to be. You see uh, somewhere around you on your seat, there should be a piece of paper. Nate, can you hand me that? So this is just a small glimpse of some of the things that we have experienced over this last year as a church community. Things as simple as, uh, you know, seeing people gather in homes throughout the week to this gathering on Sunday morning that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of planning. It takes a lot of, of, of uh, intentionality from many of you Sunday after Sunday. We've had other churches in our community come alongside of us. I mentioned Soma Midtown and Soma Downtown that have supported us over this year as we have launched out to be another Soma here in Northwest Indianapolis. Uh, Parkside Church, church out in Brownsburg, has graciously partnered with us over this year, giving us some money to just help buy some of this equipment that you see. They helped uh, us uh, put on our first vacation Bible school this summer, which many of you volunteered uh, with and, and had your kids involved in. We have New Palestine Bible Church all the way out on the east side of Indianapolis that has faithfully helped support us financially over this year just to give us some breathing room and allow us to, to hire some staff, some part-time staff to do some of the things that go unnoticed but that are necessary uh, to have uh, this experience here on Sunday mornings and other throughout the week. So God has been faithful to us in so many ways, things that are big, things that all of us see, and things that only a few of us know about and only a few of us have been a part of. And so this morning, that's why we celebrate. It's not because, hey, we made it, you know, and hey, we're here and we can have a place to come and sing and, and see people. But we celebrate because God is great. And God is faithful to us, and he's been faithful to us in real, tangible ways. And so I want to invite Pastor Nate, would you come up, and Pastor Andrew, would you come up? I want to take some time um, just to thank God in prayer together. Um, thank him for what he's done, but also understand that what he's done gives us confidence as we look forward into the future, to know that God has been with us, that God has met our needs, that God is transforming lives and is using our church community to transform more and more lives in our community, we can have confidence that God will continue to be with us, that God will continue to sustain us, and that his love and his grace and his mercy is available to us as we move forward and as we grow as a church body. So would you stand with me again? And if you're able to do this, uh, would you just lift your hand up as we pray? Just as a kind of a bodily recognition of who we're praying to and that God is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our thanksgiving. Father God, we praise you this morning. We praise you that you have a plan, that your plan is good, that we can trust your plan. And as I look out over this room, I see so many of us who were brought to Indianapolis when we didn't expect to be brought here, that we have found friends here that we didn't expect to find, that we've experienced life both good and bad, that we weren't expecting. 
And yet through it all, God, the constant has been you. You are the same yesterday. You're the same for us today, and you will be the same for us in the future. And Lord, we praise you for how you've provided for us financially. We praise you for how you've brought people who were hurting, people who needed to be loved and cared for into our community so that we could love and care for them. We thank you that you have given us other churches in this city who have loved us and supported us, who have said, here, how can we help you? Because we all recognize that we are all part of your kingdom, that we are all a part of the work of your kingdom here in this city. And so we thank you for our older uh, brothers and sisters, churches around town who have supported us and mentored us along this way. And God, as we look to the future, we look expectantly. We look with confidence and with hope, knowing that what you have done for us, you will continue to do. And we pray, God, that we will stay close to you. We pray that we would humble ourselves and we would continue to listen to you. We pray that you would give us the eyes to see and the ears to hear what you are already doing that we don't know. And Lord, because of your grace, we ask that you would use us to be a part of bringing life to this city. And we pray that as individually we continue to grow in our faith, grow in our relationships, grow in our understanding of, of who we are and who you've created us to become, Lord, that we would be a community that truly, 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 that this wouldn't just be something we say, but that it would be true about us, that people would look at us, their relationships with us, people who don't know you, and that they would be able to say, I know what God's like because of Soma Northwest. Lord, we thank you for what you've done. We thank you for what you're doing. And we look forward to how you're going to continue to bless our church, bless this community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. If you've been with us over the last year, on Sunday mornings, we have been preaching through and teaching through first Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. And we are just coming out of a summer series where we were looking at what a lot of people call like uh, the upper room teaching or discourses, basically Jesus's last words before his death to his disciples, the men who were closest to him, those whom he loved, found in John chapters 15 through 17. And through these um, snapshots of Jesus, his life, his ministry, the things that he taught, the things that he did, we as a community have been shaped by this vision of God's kingdom. And we have been talking about the kingdom of God as very simply life with God under the rule of God. 
life with God under the rule of God. And while Jesus came announcing this good news of the kingdom, pointing people to the future and saying, yes, like we do have hope that one day we will live in an eternal kingdom under the righteous rule and reign of Jesus Christ, that we will experience life and life eternal, eternally, that that is something that we look forward to, that we put our hope in, that it's not something that we just have to sit with our hands folded and wait for. Amen. That the kingdom of God, though yet it is future, we can experience that kind of life now. Albeit imperfect, albeit finite, God has offered us life. And Jesus came preaching that the kingdom of God is here promise of life with God under the rule of God and an invitation to experience that kind of life in the present. And I'll be honest with you, that has been transformational for me this year. As I have stood up here and, and, and taught, as I have sat out there and listened to others teach on Sunday morning, as I have spent time just reading and talking about this with many of you, like this has really been something that God has used to really transform the way I see my life, the way that I see this community, the way that I see and understand how to live in this chaotic, fractured, cultural moment that we live in. And as I've talked to many of you, you've said the same thing. I was just talking to someone last week and just saying, like, I have been a Christian for years and years and years. And yet this year, some of these things have come alive to me in a new way that I've never experienced before. Central to who we are. If you go on Soma's website and you find the page that talks about who we are as a church, you will see in big, bold letters that central to who we are is a statement, the gospel changes everything. We believe as a church that our foundation as a community of faith is that the gospel changes everything. That the truth and reality of Jesus's life, what he taught, how he lived, what he did, his death and his resurrection is life changing, is world changing. That the gospel is not just a nice slogan. That it's not just a message of like, hey, it'll all be okay someday. But that it is central to everything about who we are as people and as a church community. And here at Soma Northwest, our vision as a congregation, as a church body on this side of town, is to be a long-standing, consistent presence of God's kingdom here. Life with God under the rule of God. We're not here for just the next two or three years. We're not here for just the next 10 years. But by God's grace, our desire is for this community, though it may take different shapes and forms, and some of us will be here, some of us won't. People will come in and out. That this community of Soma, that this community of faith would be a long-standing presence as I prayed that our community would be able to look at and say, that is what God is like.
That's what life with God under the rule of God is like. And we believe as a church that as we place ourselves here in our neighborhoods and in our networks, our workplaces, our schools, where we live, where we work, where we play, that we do it with the intention and with the expectation that God will transform us as people. That God's spirit will transform us. That he will never stop transforming us. That he will always be changing us and making us and molding us into the men and women that he desires for us to be. And that as he is transforming us, that he will use us to bring life to this community here that we live in. In so many different ways. But all of what we desire to change out there starts in here. It starts with us. And that's what I want to spend a few minutes talking about this morning. If you have a Bible, uh, please turn to John chapter 1. You can also use one of the blue or white Bibles on the seat around you. It's on page 517. John chapter 1. The Apostle John tells us about a guy, a different John, a John who was a a baptizer. And he says, the next day in verse 29, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me. Because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on Jesus. And I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is, who, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. John talking about when Jesus first stepped onto the scene publicly, he came to John and asked John to baptize him. John says right here, his purpose, his ministry was to baptize people as a symbol that they were ready for the Messiah to come. He came preaching and teaching that the Messiah is coming. He's coming. He's coming soon. And offering people and inviting people, come and be baptized as a symbol that says, I am ready for this life that the Messiah is going to bring. I am ready for the Messiah. Read on in verse 35. The next day, again, John the Baptist was standing with two of his disciples And he looked at Jesus as Jesus was walking by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The same thing he said first time he saw him. And the two disciples that were with him heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to him, said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come. And you will see. 
So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. I want to stop right there. Over this coming year, as we talk about, and as we look at, at, as a church community, about what it means for us to be the people that we desire to be. Those, all those things that I said just a minute ago about our vision, as we look out over this year as a church community, we are summarizing that in this statement. We want to be people that practice the way of Jesus for the life of the world. We want to practice the way of Jesus for the life of the world. And over the next couple months here on Sundays, we are going to unpack each part of that statement. What does that actually mean for us to be people who do this and experience this? And so this morning, I want to start with the first part of that statement. What does it mean for us to practice the way of Jesus? What is the way of Jesus? And as we saw here in this passage, John came proclaiming the Messiah, Jesus was coming, baptizing people, saying, hey, get ready, declare your intentions to follow this Messiah when he comes. Jesus steps onto the scene and John says, this is him. This is the guy I was telling you about. This is the Messiah, the sent one, the deliverer, the one that God had promised his people for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years would come and deliver them. And John, the apostle John, tells us that two of John's disciples, which we read later, one of them was named Andrew, and the other one was probably John himself who is writing this, that they were with John the Baptist and they saw Jesus. And John says, this is the guy I was telling you about. This is the Messiah. And so out of curiosity, out of calling, whatever, however you want to turn, they start to come after Jesus, to follow him in a very literal sense. He walks by and John says that they left John the Baptist and we started walking to follow Jesus. We walk to follow Jesus. And the word that he uses here for these two men, himself included, were disciples. Disciples. And that word can be translated follower, student, apprentice. And a lot of times we can use that word disciple in our modern context today to kind of refer to people that we, uh, that we respect and that we're learning from. Like I'm a disciple of so-and-so. Or I'm a, and you may not say it like that, but it's like authors that we read, people that we listen to, speakers that we like finding on YouTube and, and, and listening to what they have to say, whether uh, spiritual things or, or not. A disciple is a follower as well. And when we think of follower, sadly, we often think of it in social media terms, like I'm following somebody, which means that we look at their life from a distance. We look at what they say and what they do, the events of their lives, and we interact when we want to. You know, we like a post, we, we comment on something, we kind of know what's going on in somebody's life. We know what they think, we know, uh, you know, how they're living, because we follow them, we look at them from a distance. Disciple can also mean student, 
But, you know, when we think about student, a lot of times we think about it only in the context of a classroom with books and, and lectures and tests. But disciple in this day meant so much more. All of those things, a student, an apprentice, uh, a follower, it was, it was a much more robust thing than what we can understand it in our culture as well, because, or, or today. Because what people would do back in this day is they would find a rabbi or a teacher, a well-respected person, and they would go to them and they'd say, I want to be your student. I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you. And there was a rigorous interview that went on to fig- for this teacher, for this respected leader to figure out if he really wanted this person to be his disciple. But if this person checked out, if he felt like that they were serious enough, if they had the right credentials, the right acumen, he would say, okay, come and follow me. This isn't unique to Jesus. This happened all the time in his day. And what the invitation was, was not to read a few books, listen to some lectures, or maybe even shadow him a day a week. This was a full-on commitment. A full-on commitment to having everything about this disciple's life shaped and formed by this teacher, this rabbi. And what we see throughout the gospels as Jesus calls these disciples, we see them leaving their former life. We see them leaving and saying, I'm not going to do this anymore because I am following Jesus. I'm not going to spend my time here anymore because I am following Jesus. Everything about them took on this commitment to following Jesus. I don't think we like to admit this because we like to think that we are independent people, that we are self-made men and women. We're our own man. We're our own woman. But the reality this morning is that no one in this room arrived at this place in your life on your own. Nobody in this room has got here all by yourself. Everyone here has been, is, and will be shaped and formed by someone or something. That is true about everyone here. Just think about it. Think about the family that you grew up in, the parents or the parent that you had. Those folks at the very earliest stages of your life were shaping and forming the way that you thought about yourself, both good and bad. The way that you thought about the world, both good and bad. Many of us in this room have had a teacher or a coach who have acted kind of like a second uh, father or mother figure to us, who have encouraged us, who have, have spurred us on, who have challenged us to be the best that we can be. Some of you have had, in college, you had a spiritual mentor or somebody at that stage in your life that taught you what it meant to be a Christian, what it meant to follow God. Many of you have business mentors now that are helping you shape your thoughts and your vision and your goals and your your desire for who you want to be in your career and in your vocation. 
many of us just have authors and speakers that we listen to, that we like to read, that we don't have a relationship with, but that we glean a lot of life from and a lot of ways about how to think and have perspective about a number of different things in our world. Think about where you grew up. If you grew up in a rural part of the country, if you grew up in an inner city, if you grew up in a suburb, all of those places have shaped and formed the way you look at life, the way you look at relationships, the way you think about work, the way you think about education. Those places had a huge influence on it. We don't like to talk politics, but the reality is our political persuasions can really influence the way that we look at this world, the way that we think about what it means to be a person living in this country at this time. We are people who every single day are being shaped and being formed. There is no one in this room who is an unshaped, unformed, uninfluenced person. I want you to think about for a second what it means to be a person. I'm going to get a little existential here on you. So give me a couple minutes. What does it mean to be a whole person? You may have different language for this. There may be some other things that you would throw in here, but I want to throw out five elements of being a person. Thought, feeling, choice, body, and social context. Thought, feeling, choice, body, and social context. The first thing, you are a person who thinks, right? You're a person who thinks. You see images. You take in information. You process that. You make judgments and inferences based on the information that you have. So much of our life, especially in the younger years, are, are shaped around teaching us how to think and how to m- just make sense of what we're learning and what we're experiencing. You are a person who thinks. You are a person who feels, right? You have emotions. You have sensations when you watch something. When you hear, like, this music that we just sang. I got goosebumps because something inside of me, as I heard us all singing in different parts, there was something inside of me that was moved because of that. We are people that feel. We are people that have emotions. We, are, we, we experience sadness and, and, and happiness. We experience the range of emotions in between that. We are per- people who think. We are people who feel. We are people who choose and make decisions, right? Based on what we think and how we feel. We make decisions from big things like, you know, who to marry, what job and career we want to go into to very little things like, what am I going to have for lunch today? How am I going to spend my day off? You know, what clothes am I going to wear? We are people that make decisions and choices every single day, moral character choices that shape the direction of our lives and how we approach circumstances and experiences. We are people that live in a body. You are not a dis- Uh, embodied spirit. 
Newsflash, you have a body right now. And so much of you is your body. There isn't a separation. Sometimes we get like metaphysical and we start talking about, hey, the real you. There is no real you except the person I see right here. That is you. Your body is you. You have a body that acts and that moves and that feels good someday and doesn't feel good other day. You have a body that interacts with the physical world around you. And we are all people that think, that feel, that choose and decide in our bodies in relationship to others whether we are in relationship with others or out of relationship with others. We all are part of a social context, whether we are intimate in that context or whether we are detached. The social context, the people that we live with, the people that we work with, the people that are in our neighborhoods, the people that we call friends, the people who aren't our friends. You know, all of these things matter to who we are. All of these elements of being a person matter. They are all part of you being you. And when we talk about discipleship, when we talk about following Jesus, what we are talking about and what Jesus invited these men to do were to take all of those elements of being who they were and center them around Jesus. So the question for you this morning is not, are you being shaped or formed? The question for you this morning is who or what is doing the shaping? Who or what is doing the shaping? Who or what is doing the shaping? Look at the language that John uses in this passage. He says that he and Andrew, they followed Jesus. That Jesus turned around and saw them following him. And Jesus says, what do you want? He makes them kind of declare their intentions. What, what are you doing? Are you just walking behind me? What do you want? And they said, where are you staying? And Jesus says, come and see. Come and see, I'll show you where I'm staying. And John says that they stayed with him. And that word stayed is the word minnow in Greek, which means to abide. What John is giving us here is not just a description of the events. John writing many years in the future, looking back at this initial experience, even though he didn't realize it at the time, was painting a picture of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, someone to whom Jesus says, abide in me and I will abide in you. And when you abide in me and I abide in you, you will experience life, life that God wants you to experience, the life that you really want to have. This was and is the way of Jesus. It's following 
Jesus. It's taking all of who we are and all of our life and centering it around Jesus. It doesn't mean that we throw off and ignore all the other influences in our life, but it does mean that Jesus becomes the primary All of those other influences, all of the other things that shape us and form us become secondary, become tertiary to Jesus Christ. All of our life, all of who we are, our thoughts, our feelings, our decisions, our bodies, our relationships, everything comes to circle around Jesus. He is the influencer. He is the shaper. He is the former. That's what we mean when we talk about Christian discipleship, practicing the way of Jesus. And what we're going to do this coming year is we are going to look at this together. We are going to learn what the way of Jesus is together, and we are going to put it into practice in our missional community group, in our discipleship group, in our relationship with each other, in the way that we relate to our community. Some of, this, some of these things are going to be brand new to you. And some of this is going to be brand new to those of you who have never thought about walking with Jesus and following Jesus before. Some of you, for some of you, this is going to be a kickstart for you after a dry season. It's just a particularly hard season of life. But we are going to do this together. And I want to close by laying out the three things that we are going to shape this series around. What it means to practice the way of Jesus is being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. Being with Jesus It's easy for us to buy into this so-called sacred and secular divide. That there are some things that we we do and places that we go that are sacred and some things that we do and places that we go that aren't. Here's the truth. There is no such thing as a sacred and secular divide to someone who follows Jesus. Everywhere you go is sacred. Everything that you do is sacred. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives in you and is with you everywhere you go and in everything you do. Remember, we just looked at this a few months ago. Jesus, on the verge of being crucified, on the verge of leaving this world, tells these men who have left everything to follow him, it's actually better for you if I go away. That's crazy talk. What these men, how do you imagine that they were processing that? Being followers of Jesus, investing their entire life in Jesus for three years. Jesus says, it's better for you that I go away because when I go away, I'm sending my spirit to be with you and in you. What Jesus was telling them is that the spirit of God in them was better for them than if the Son of God was beside them. The Spirit of God in you and in me makes everything that we do sacred, makes everything that we do matter and important to God. 
Being with Jesus simply means that we understand and we acknowledge that Jesus is present with us at home, at work, at school, in the car, when we're working out, when we're hanging out with friends, when we're with our family. Jesus is with us. And what does it mean for us to be with him? We can start by doing the things that he did to be with his father. Things like practicing silence and solitude which sounds crazy in a world that's so noisy and so busy with all these voices coming at us. But taking time to step out of that, to say, God, I just want to be with you. I want to listen to you. I want to listen to you. Practicing Sabbath, rest. Jesus didn't work all the time. He wasn't with people all the time. We see that he went away. He went away to rest What would it look like for us to be people who routinely rest? And it doesn't mean just not to work, but to do things that allow us to enjoy God our Father, to enjoy the presence of Jesus, to enjoy the life that he's given us. We can be with Jesus by reading the scriptures, by praying, by fasting, by allowing God to begin to shape and mold our minds and our perspective. Abide in me and I in you. Live in Jesus. It's not, a, it's not only a passive thing that Jesus is living in us. It's an invitation and a call to live with and in him. So we're going to look at what it means to be with Jesus. We're going to look at what it means to become like Jesus. John, in one of his later letters to a group of Christians talks about the hope that we have that one day we will be like him because we will really see him as he is. That's a future hope, but so often we experience that as disconnected from our present reality, right? We look at so much of our lives and we see, man, I am the furthest thing from Jesus that could possibly be in the way that I handled this situation, in the way that I reacted to this circumstance in my life. The promise of following Jesus isn't just come and learn and and grow in your understanding and your knowledge. The promise of Jesus being with Jesus is that as we are with Jesus, Jesus begins to transform us from the inside out. He begins to make us new people over time using lots of different people and circumstances in our life. As we are with Jesus, Jesus changes us. He gives definition to the way that we think, the way that we feel, the way that we make choices. He transforms our understanding of ourselves, the story that we have, our life, our circumstances, the pain and the hurt and the joys that we've experienced. He helps us to accept grief and not just pretend like bad things don't happen. He gives us the power to forgive people who have hurt us and wronged us. And he promises to heal us and to restore us and to allow us to experience joy. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says in that beautiful passage, verses 8 through 10, that we are saved not because of our works, but because of God's grace through our faith in Jesus. But he goes on to say that God has made us, because of our faith, new people, and he has made us for 
a purpose, a purpose that he has designed us for, that he already knows for us. And so when we become like Jesus, we, become, we allow Jesus to say, this is who you are, and this is what I've made you to become. We are with Jesus. We become like Jesus. And lastly, we begin to do what Jesus did. Jesus sent his disciples out, didn't he? He sent them out to go continue the work that he had started, to heal the sick, to make disciples, to preach the good news of the kingdom, to eat and drink with those who are far away from God, to do justice to those who need mercy. And man, I tell you, they were not ready for it. If you would have looked at this group of men, you would say, Jesus, what are you thinking? This is a bad business strategy. This is bad, Jesus. The same is true of us. We will never feel like we're truly ready to begin to do the things that Jesus did. But that's why we spend time with Jesus. That's why we allow Jesus to transform us. And it's not that we have to get to this certain threshold of maturity of faith to begin to do the things that Jesus did. God's spirit lives in you. And God's spirit works out his will through you. Individually and as a community, we can and we will practice the way of Jesus. And I want to invite each of you here this morning to be a participant in this with us this year. And it's not going to stop next September, but this is something that we really want to look at and invest in as a community to give us some foundation, to to, to kind of launch us out so that this becomes part and parcel of what it means to be part of the faith community of Soma Northwest, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, to do the things that Jesus did as Jesus forms and shapes us as a community into a long-standing presence of his kingdom here in Northwest Indianapolis. That's our vision that's where we're going. It's, it's not sexy. It's not uh, innovative. It's just tried and true. Tried and true. It's a call that Jesus made thousands of years ago that is an invitation that Jesus is offering us this morning to really experience both individually and as a community life with God under the rule of God. And as we come to our communion time, We take a piece of bread, we dip it in the juice. What we are doing is not only looking back at what Jesus has done for us in the past in thankfulness, and we're not only looking to the future in our hope that Jesus will come back and make all things new, but we take this communion together as a symbol that what happened in the past and what's going to happen in the future matters today. It matters for us in the here and in the now that God has called us to be his people and he's given us the power to be his followers, to shape and to form us and to use us in what he's doing in our community. So if you know Jesus this morning, if you have put your faith in Jesus, I invite you to come and to take. We'll have a gluten-free station in the back. Would you pray with me?
Father God, we are so thankful for what you're doing in our community. We're thankful because of Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection. That because Jesus lives, we also live. And I just pray for us as a community of people that we would move forward as humble men and women. As men and women who are submissive to who you are and to your will, to how you want to use us and shape us. I pray that you would protect us because we have an enemy who wants nothing to do with this and wants the exact opposite. Instead of life, he wants to kill us, destroy us, discourage us. And I pray that you would protect us both individually and as a community, that we would be able to move forward as people who truly are living life with God under the rule of God so that our community looks at us and can say, that is what God is like. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.